Well, turn with me to 1 John, will you? Turn with me to 1 John. It's going to be a, 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 an exciting Christmas season for a lot of reasons, most importantly because Jesus, right? <laughs> um, but we're going to be a part through our Christmas offering, yeah, we're going to be a part of planting three different churches. We're going to be a part of three church plants through our Christmas offering. And I'm gonna, that's all I'm going to tell you. That's all I'm going to tell you. But next week, next week, we're going to talk to, uh, we're going to have some guests with us for a 10-minute window, and they're going to share with you about where one of those churches are, is going to be that we're going to be a part of over the next year. So I can't wait to talk to you more about the Christmas offering. But um, yeah, there's that. First John, do you know there's a guy, uh, a guy, a pastor dude, uh, a professor dude, a uh, well-known preacher. His name is Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll, you may have never even heard him before, but Chuck Swindoll uh, is one of those guys that uh, almost to, like a Billy Graham. I mean, it just it just very faithful preacher, teacher, wonderful man of God. I'm sure he's not perfect, but, um, uh, but I've read a lot of his books, heard a lot of his messages. And so when I started, when, when I felt like the Lord was pushing us towards 1 John, I felt like 1 John was where we were going to go several months ago. We're going to preach through this book. I really had no idea what the Lord was going to do through this book, what he has done, and how many of you have commented to me how much you've enjoyed this passage or this, this book. But I, I started listening to other preachers. I started studying 1 John, of course. I started studying other commentaries and other things. And I started listening to other preachers that had um, talked about 1 John and done series on 1 John. And so I, I, I came up to, to Chuck Swindoll, and, and Chuck Swindoll had this, this overview of 1 John. I was like, hey, Chuck, yeah, as if I know him, first name basis. And so I'm reading 1 John, Chuck Swindoll, and I thought, oh, that's, oh, that's insight. That's insight for living. But th- there's, um, there, I'm just reading through that, reading through that, reading through that. I thought, man, this is great. And I told some of you this already. But, um, and then and then towards the very end of it, Chuck Swindoll, a guy who's uh, been preaching pretty much for longer than I've been alive probably. I, no, actually, yeah. And um, I've just been preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible through and through, kind of known for verse-by-verse preaching. Um, at the very end of his little thing, he says, and First uh, John is one of the only books in the New Testament that I have never preached verse-by-verse because I'm still trying to figure it out. Thank you, Chuck. Here I am, Scott Miller, sitting in, in, in Middlebury, Indiana, trying to figure it out. If Chuck can't figure it out, can I figure it out? And so with God's help today, we're going to continue to figure it out. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying that because I'm really setting up this message. Because I don't think there's been any message in this series that I have wrestled more with, trying to really get, God, what are you saying through this passage? Then this passage, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. Now, verse 7 is pretty simple. It's just kind of, it's not really rocket science, right? Look at verse 7 with me. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, once again, we're confronted with this truth. All throughout 1 John, this is mentioned many times. Love. You need to love one another. We understand this. I've talked to, to you this way. It's like our, 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 our vertical connection here with God ought to somehow, it ought to impl- be implemented and it ought to affect our horizontal connection with one another. In fact, if you look at the way I treat other people, that kind of gives you a glimpse of how things are going this way. 
And if you see someone who's struggling to treat one another with the love of God and with, with uh, lo- um, uh, love, patience, kindness, um, you know, gentleness, if you see people, then uh, it's, it's rightfully right to say maybe their connection with God needs a little focus right now. And so as, as you think about that, not just in the way we treat all mankind, but especially to those who are believers, and you see all this throughout the book of Galatians, but look with me, or excuse me, throughout the New Testament, but look at this, this passage in Galatians chapter six. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Stop, time out, all people. What does that cover? That covers people who haven't, aren't following Jesus, people who are following Jesus. That covers all people, everybody. The love of God in us, it ought to just spill out of us. There ought to be a, a sense of love and compassion for, for people and others just because God is inside of us. Now, keep going, though. Keep going. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Favorites, favorites. Yeah, you betcha. We got favorites. God has Those who belong to the family of believers. And know that word family. You know how important it is that we love one another, that we are caring for one another, that we're carrying that load. It, um, the, the idea here is that those who belong to Jesus, because we're related. Now, you might say, well, it's, it's my brother from another mother, but, and that's true, but we're, we're, we've got the same Savior, right? The same blood of Jesus has forgiven you that has forgiven me, and because of that, we are Family, come on, join me. No, just joking. Ephesians, Ephesians 2.19, look at this. Ephesians, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. How awesome is that? Do we act that way? Do we love one another in that way? The Christian family even extends beyond this, this local expression called pathway. Any Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching, gospel-believing um, uh, person uh, who's in this community or beyond. Why, I, why do I feel like I always have to clarify that? I'll tell you why. Because there are whole churches who are walking away from the truth of the gospel. And just because it has the word church slapped on it doesn't mean that they're preaching truth. So, so that's why I say any church, any believer who holds to the scriptures that this is God's authoritative word and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to get to God, any believer that follows that, they are our family. They may be in Haiti. They may be in, uh, Megan and I, I was just thinking about it this morning, 10 years ago. Holy cow, that was a long time ago. We worshiped in Paris, France with the Bridge International Church, church that we helped plant in Paris. Um, we worshiped there in one of their Sunday morning services. That was so cool. We were in Germany, and so we worshiped in a German uh, church and, uh, with, with some of our missionaries now, Dell and Jeannie Penner, and we, we worshiped in that. They, it was all German, and my aunt uh, Jeannie, she, she just sat there and just kind of interpreted as things were going on there, and, and um, uh, it, yeah, it was interesting, let's say nonetheless. We worshiped in England because we were there in, in near Birmingham, Coventry, England, and we were there for a missions conference, and we worshiped there. It doesn't matter. You can go anywhere on the planet, and if you find another believer, you've got family, right? That's the way it ought to be. And, and I, I, I'm, I know that 
that sometimes even in our own culture and even in our own community and in our own area, um, sometimes our individualistic, uh, um, you know, I'm standing up for my rights and, and I'm, I'm all for that, whatever. But let's not forget, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we're family. Let's love one another that way. Let's treat one another that way. Now look at verse 8. Okay, got to keep moving. Whoever does not love does not know God because, oh, here it comes. John, I've been saying it all, 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 all serious. John's about ready to bring the thunder right here. Ready? Because God is love. Can you say that with me out loud, God is love? God is love. God is love. Grasp that. I, I, love is, is God's very essence. Now, what does this mean? Now, I, I don't want this to go over your heads here, but can you just engage your thinkers for a second here? <clears throat> God is love. There's not one thing that God does that love isn't a part of. It's, he, he is love. He, he's, oh, God just showed some love there. No, God is love. There's a difference. Every time he disciplines me, it's out of what? Love. Every, every time he, he encourages, I feel encouragement from the Holy Spirit, it's out of love. Any, anything that happens in my life, it's ultimately God is there allowing it to happen because he loves me. And I know sometimes that it's so hard to work through some of our finite brains because I understand that. But the fact of the matter is that God is love. Love is not one of God's many activities. Instead, all of his activities are encapsulated with love. God is love. Let me see if I can explain this further. I see the looks on your face. They're saying, Scott, explain this further. And I say, okay, love is not on top and God's down here. We got to be careful we don't get this mixed up. God is on top. God defines love. Love doesn't define God. God is love. Love does not inform our definition of God. God informs our definition of love. Why is that important? Because if you get these things turned around, and even again, some in, in local churches have gotten it a little, little screwed up, a little messed up, then you'll find yourself walking away from truth pretty quickly. Why? Because you're like, well, when I think of love, I think of a lot of things. Just, I just think of, I think of God, God. I think of grandma, because she loved me. I think of tolerance. I think of, do you get what I'm saying here? When I think of love, then if love defines God, and love defines tolerance, and love defines all these things, and then, then all of a sudden, you can find yourself walking away from the truth of the scripture because it doesn't start with love. It starts with God. And God defines love. You see how important this is that that little phrase we get right? What about, um, uh, 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 well, I think, I think you got it. We can't start with the idea of love. We've got to start with the idea of God. God is love, not love is God. And this is what John is trying to say to his, uh, his churches through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that's what he's saying to us. You know, even in this, in this uh, verse 7 through 21, this passage, uh, you don't have to count them, I already counted it, but in these 14 verses, 25 times it, love, the word love is mentioned. I went through and underlined it with red, red marker or red pen at some point. Good job, Scott. Um, I don't even remember doing that, but it's there because it's so important we grasp this idea of God being love. God is love. But let me toss one more thing out and then we're going to move on, I promise. But he's not only love. 
We need, to, we need to make sure we understand that when we define God, you, you can't just say God is love and just stop there. God is other things as well. And I think there's, there's a, this is important. This is important um, because uh, we need to be careful that we don't take any of God's attributes and hold them higher than any of the others. God is love, but let's throw another one that God, God is holy. What does that mean? That means he's just, he's righteous. And, and you compare the righteousness of Jesus Christ who um, was sinless and went to the cross to the righteousness of Scott Miller. And my righteousness is as filthy rags, but his righteousness was perfect. And I know these are kind of complex thoughts here, but it's important that, um, yeah, let's, let's embrace the fact that God is love. But I, I would venture to say, if you read from uh, the, the table of contents to the maps and you studied the whole thing, you would find out that the word holy is probably even more used about God than the word love. So it's both and. and we, God is a just God. He, he's just and that means he's not just going to sit around and let us fool around in sin before he steps in and says, there's consequences to your sins. Okay, you get what I'm saying here? One of the most common attributes of God listed in the Bible is, in fact, the, the thought that he is holy. But this is what I want you to get just as we kick off the rest of this passage. Here it is. The big idea, God is love. Okay, God is love. And if God is love, then let's ask ourselves this question. What are some things we can do as believers in Christ um, that, uh, that show this love, right? So we look at verse 9. What can we learn from this passage? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Can you look at verse 10 once more? Just let this sink in for a second. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He loved us first. Let me just t toss this out. I, I, I encourage you to grab the notes in, in, in the back of the seat. If you grab those notes, follow along, fill in the blanks. You say, Scott, why do we have to do that? Let me just tell you just the basics. If I can teach it and you can hear it, if you can see it on the screen, and if you can write it, and then on top of that, the fourth, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as well. Our goal is not to give you information on Sunday mornings. The Bible was not meant to be informational. It was meant to be transformational. It was meant to transform our lives. And so, Scott, why do you always tell us to grab those notes? I don't know. I'd just rather sit here. And, well, okay, you can do whatever you want, but I'm just telling you. Uh, statistics would say that if you write things down and look at things more and whatever, you're going you're gonna to get it and it's going to get in your spirit. So grab the notes. Grab the notes, fill in this first blank. We have a great example of love in Jesus. If the question is, what can we learn from this passage to help us understand and live out this love for one another, here's, here's one thing we can learn from this passage, is we have a great example in Jesus. How should I, how should I treat people that don't know Christ? Well, how did Jesus treat them? That's how you ought to treat them. How should I treat people that are other believers in Christ? Well, Take a look at Jesus. Take a look at the New Testament. Take a look at the, at the, the apostles and those, uh, the disciples and others that followed Christ. How should I treat people who are like really very religious, but they're just so hurtful and hateful? Well, how did Jesus treat them? 
In fact, sometimes I think, sometimes you could write like a, a, a book of comedy when you, when you note how Jesus interacts with religious elites. It's like, you whitewash sepulchre, I can't even say it, tombs, sepulchers or something like this, King James. I mean, he, he calls them names. He's like, it is not appropriate to, to call people names. Hey, Jesus did. I'm not saying you should. I'm just, just read it in context, but Jesus called them he pushed back. If you're claiming faith and you're, you're living more out of a religious thing than, than a real relationship with God, he pushed back. How did Jesus interact with people? Jesus was the perfect example. And, and um, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first. Those of you that are married, think about it. Think about it. Who was the first one to say, I love you? I asked my wife this question, and she got it right. It was me. <clears throat> no. I said, no, I remember the night. I remember the conversation, you know. Do you remember that? If you put that aside now, just think about, who was the first one, God or you, to say, I love you? I know it's kind of mushy and weird to think of God that way, especially if you're a dude, but it's true. God loved you first. And that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Get that. Grasp that. This is what in the church world we call the agape love, right? Speaks of compassion, regard, kindness, unselfishness. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not, will not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. He gave. God loved us first. Jesus loved us first. The truth of Scripture is God loved you. He pursued you. And, and just let this settle in. The love relationship was initiated by God, and I had nothing to do with it. Why? How could we? You remember what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says about us? Check this out. As for you, you were dead. And your sin, and your transgressions, and sins, and, and what you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. I'm dead. My sin, uh, what I deserve because of my sin is, is spiritual death, is, is death. That's what I deserve. But Jesus Christ, praise God, he stepped in, and he made a way for us to get to the Father. He made a way to cover those sins, to reconcile us to God. How awesome is that? Uh, atoning sacrifice is what it says. Look, look, at, look at verse 10 again. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.10 in the ESV, it says it this way. The propitiation for our sins. A word that might help us out to understand what Jesus really did is, is reconciliation. He reconciled us to God. He, Jesus reconciles us back to God through his death. Sin causes a chasm. Just understand this. This is the easiest way to, I think, to understand is imagine Jesus is, or yeah, God is over here and we're over here and there's a chasm in between us. And Jesus came, fully God, fully man, he came and he died and he stood right in the middle on the cross and he made a way for God and us, for us to get to God. How awesome is that? He reconciles us to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I implore you, be reconciled. Get your heart right with God through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was that atoning sacrifice. Uh, what's, what's, what's your big point here? The big, big point here is God is love, and he showed us that love through Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? Um, one more verse I just got to throw in there as we think about our sinfulness. I love Romans 5.18, New Living Translation. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Does that excite you or what? Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection. Big idea. God is love. This is how much the, uh, God the Father loves us as he sent his one and only son. Keep moving. Okay, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Not rocket science again, okay? <laughs> Pretty simple. Since God loved us and, and we're to be like Christ, right? Then we ought to love others, especially those who are believers. Let's keep moving on, can we? Verse 12 says this. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I believe this is just a continuation of the idea of how people ought to see God in us through our lives lived out in front of each other. Contextually, John may have made this statement to refute some of the false teachers. I think it's very likely as you study this and you look at this is there were probably some that were saying, hey, I've had this vision of God. I've, I've had this vision of, of God speaking to me and, and boy, isn't this wonderful. And, and, um, and the way that they did it was listen to me more than anything else and come look at me. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. Let's face it. When a, when a teacher or someone were to stand up here and say, hey, you know what? I exhibited the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness this week lord bless you or if i got up and said hey i had a vision from the lord uh, today and if i could use some uhs in there and uh, um and really share it and then i it's, it's it's a little more gripping and and i believe that's exactly part of what was happening here is there were false teachers that were coming through, sharing these grandiose experiences they had with God. Now listen, I want to affirm, we believe in, in visions and dreams. Uh, Joel prophesied it in the Old Testament. Peter quoted it in the book of Acts chapter 2. In, in the, these days, um, it says, your young men will dream dreams and your old men will, uh, will uh, see visions. I'm not sure where I'm at in that. I'll take either one. <laughs> your, your women are going to prophesy. I mean, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. We... Let's experience this. The question is, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to say, hey, look at me, how great I am, because I have visions? Or um, how about this? Live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit and let that speak the love of Jesus in your life. So um, people ought to be able to see Jesus in me. Whether I have ever have a vision or a dream that I could share with them, they ought to see Jesus as I live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It, Jesus, they ought to see Jesus in me and be exhibited through me. So as we look at verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, the way we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. They ought to see the love of God in me. Verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Once again, John hits this. This verse by itself, I struggle to see how does this fit into this passage, but when you look at it in light of all the verses around it, um, I think this was what Jesus, uh, John was trying to, the point he was trying to, to make. In fact, one commentator said it this way, the Spirit fosters affection in us toward the brethren. Let me say that again, it's on the screen. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit fosters affection in us toward the brethren. 
My words, number two, there it is. We are empowered to love through the Holy Spirit. Just enough to say this. Have you ever had a believer that you struggled to love? <laughs> I mean, another believer, another, you know they love Jesus, you love Jesus. Man, I just struggle, you know. Uh, sometimes you can know that EGR, extra grace required. <laughs> I mean, it's just, man, this person is just really hard to, really hard to love. It's just, I just, I want to encourage you. I believe what John is pointing, don't forget, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. At salvation, the moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit's inside of you, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to love that person. Maybe the whole reason God brought you here today is because you're struggling to love someone else, another believer, and I just want to remind you that there, there are some people where it's going to take the Holy Spirit's power. Like, you know, where it says, you know, move mountains, that's what it's going to take. But you need the Holy Spirit's power to love others. Enough said on that. Let's move to verse 14. And when we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, number three, I'm, gonna, I'm throwing this in there. God shows us his love through the disciples' testimony. Fill that in. The disciples' testimony. How much God loves us, and we have seen and testified. We have seen it. John's writing this. We've seen it. John's saying, I was there. I touched it. I saw it. We experienced it. We have seen this, how much God loves us. He could have left us on our own, say, okay, good luck down there, see ya. <laughs> I'll be back. I mean, he, he, could have, he could have just left you to that. But instead, you know what he did? He <sighs> breathed. That's what it is. He breathed, inspired Matthew to write his gospel, Luke to write his gospel. John and Mark and the Apostle Paul to write what he wrote. Peter, Simon Peter, right? James, he inspired his brother James to write what he wrote. Jude. I mean, as you look all through the Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament, all these people that, that wrote the New Testament, they're not second, third, or fourth generation, or fifth, or sixth, or my great-grandpappy, great-great-great-grandpappy wrote the God. No, no, they lived right there. They saw it. And if they, if they didn't see it like Luke, even though he lived in that era, he went and got first-person account. When Luke was writing his gospel, he's going and he's saying, hey, you were there. What was it like? Hey, you were there that day. Hey, do you remember that day? And what was, explain to me what you experienced. And he recorded that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Enough. God shows us his love through the disciples' testimony and through the word of God that he gives us in the New Testament. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Authentic faith is made up of those who acknowledge Jesus is not only man, but God. And if you want more on that, you have to listen to last week's message because we talked a lot about that last week. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. Let's talk about this for a second. Here's the idea. When we take up permanent residence in Christ, and we allow Christ to live in us, he brings his love with him. <laughs> we live in God, and God lives in us. This way, um, I, I like how, how this, this, this comes out. Love has the run of my house. It, love becomes at home in me and mature in me. But think about that. Love has the run of my house. And when I say that, I, I mean like this person. Of my mind, my actions, 
Love has the run of, of, but also think about your actual literal house. Does love have the run of your house? Does love have the run of your family? Does love have the run of your marriage and your friendships? Does love, this is, this is, this is what we're, we're seeing. God is love. Verse 16, God is love. Now look at verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made, is not made perfect in love. Evidently, there was, oh, let me give you number four. Number four, fill this in, will you? God's love removes the fear of future judgment. What can we learn about God's love in this passage? There it is. God's love removes the fear of future judgment. What are you talking about? Well, this evidently was an issue. There were false teachers, teachers coming in, and they're saying, hey, listen, um, uh, there's going to be a judgment, and you better be ready. And all the people are like, what? We're going to be judged. And they're getting all worked up, and completely forgetting the fact that they can have assurance of their salvation. They can have assurance that when that judgment does come, they're going to be okay. Let me tell you, every believer in this place, uh, if you're an unbeliever and you're watching, you're listening, and you haven't put your faith in Christ, yet there's going to be a great white throne judgment in the end times. It's going to happen. It's going to be the judgment. Of, uh, and, and this is where, um, depart from me, I never knew you. And, and those who haven't put their faith in Christ will go to a literal Hades, literal hell. There's going to be another place called heaven. And all of us who are believers, anyone who has put their faith in Christ, will stand before God at another judgment, and that's called the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans uh, chapter 14, verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we, all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't about our salvation because we wouldn't be there if we weren't already saved. This is a judgment of how, how did we do with what God gifted us with? You see, this is why we talk about the importance of you serving here in the local church and serving there in the community. It's Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. It's his heart. And so one day, we, Scott Miller, all of us, we're gonna stand before God. He's gonna say, and he's... I, he's going to say, I, I gifted you with this. I gave you this gift. I gave you this ability. I gave you, what? how did you use that for my kingdom? That's what Jesus is going to say. How, how did you do it at, at pushing away sin? How did you do it taking all those gifts that I gave you and using them for my glory to bring others in? How did you do it, the Great Commission? How did you do it? And this is less and less a, ah, uh, wrong, 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 wrong. Sorry, you got an F failure. You can still come into heaven, but you're a failure. No, 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 no. It's not about that. I don't quite understand heaven. I've studied scripture about this, but there does have a sense of, of a feeling of, um, of uh, re a reward system in heaven. There will be a reward system in heaven. I can't completely, but it, it, there's crowns involved. There's scriptures that I put in your notes that you could um, look up later on about various uh, uh, crowns that are described, 2 Timothy 2, 5, 4, 8, James 1, 12. There's, there's others that you can look up. But let me just give you James 1, 12. Let me just give you James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As believers, let me just bottom line it here. God loves us so much. 
You don't have to be nervous. When you see the chart, you know the chart? You know, you know the chart? When you see the end time chart, sometimes I'll bring it up there, and you'll see like the tribulation and, and Armageddon, and you see all these big words or whatever. Listen, when you study the book of Revelation, let me encourage you. If that scares the wits out of you, and every time we talk about the end times or what's going to happen in the end time, you get so scared and worked up and full of fear, you're not alone. Because that's exactly what was happening in 1 John. But can I tell you, the only, the only reason, um, no, let me back up. You don't have to get all worked up in fear. You can have assurance of your salvation. So listen, if talking about the end times and what's going to happen, all the gets you all nervous and everything, let me just encourage you, just being honest, authentic faith, serious here, are you saved? Really, are you born again? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because here's the promise. If you haven't, it's time to do that. Because for, for those who have put their faith in Christ, when you see the chart, when you read the book of Revelation, oh, you don't need to get fearful. You don't need to get scared. You need to get excited. Because, boy, isn't this going to be wonderful. Justice will prevail. Justice gonna, is going to be served on all mankind. I'm going to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus. This is going to be amazing. Do you get that? That's how the response should be. God's love ought to remove the fear of any future judgment in our hearts. Now, there's still a holy fear of God. Don't get me wrong. There ought to be a holy fear of God that causes us to walk holy and righteous before him. But we don't need to be fearful as long as we're in right relationship with the Lord. You get that? The big idea is God loves us. God is love. 19 to 21, let's finish this off. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Number five, God's love can't exist alongside hate. Now, I'm not saying the moment you have hatred in your heart towards someone that you've lost your salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this, though, for sure, that if you allow that hatred to take root in your heart and you don't repent of it and do something with it, um, I, I would definitely say you're on shaky ground and you could very, very well lose. Not according to me. Uh, and let me just tell you what the Bible says. You're a liar. If I have hatred towards another brother, sister, another person, if I have hatred towards them, how can I say that I love a God that I can't see if I can't even love those that I can see? Man, this is, this is tough. Because I know that, here's the challenge, none of us are perfect. And this church, I'll, any, anywhere there's people, even in a, in a local church committed to follow Christ, there are people that are going to say things, do things, they're going to hurt you. It's going to happen. The question is, how do we deal with that? And that's where we see principles in Scripture of the biggest thing, the biggest way that we deal with that is just give it to the Lord and move on. There are other times when maybe it's a big enough situation where maybe we do need to have some kind of a conversation about it. And, 
even then be very careful because that's not always sometimes it's just my thing i took offense i took the issue on me i got offended and what you know what i am the one that needs to just get over it and move on but if, if, if there's a blatant sin maybe there needs to be a conversation but that's a whole nother message bottom line is this if you hate someone the scripture here is calling me or you a liar if we claim the love of Jesus is in us. If, if these people show hate for their brothers or sisters in Christ by rejecting them or refusing to fellowship with them, their love for God should be questioned. Example, real quick. Third John, dude named Diotrephes. Look at this, look at this, verse 9. I wrote to the church, this is, this is John again, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, gossiping maliciously about us, not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Not a good guy. John says that people like Diotrephes, he just comes right out and says it, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They're liars. If a believer does not love his or her Christian brother or sister who are God's visible representatives, how can that person possibly love the invisible God? Let me toss this out just a little further, just to, one thing to just kind of bring it home. It is easy to claim to love God when that love doesn't cost anything more than weekly attendance at a church service. It's easy to claim that kind of love. But it's harder to, to say, you know, I want to show my love in a tangible way. I, I want to express it. No, I'm not just asking how you doing. I'm asking really, how are you doing? How are things going at home? What's happening in your job? And, and, and this is one reason why I, I love our life group system. Because I think in those relationships is where that most effectively happens is in, in our life groups. It's easy to claim to love God when that love doesn't cost me anything more than just showing up on Sunday morning. Where do you go to church? I go to Pathway. No, I'm not asking where you go to church. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is um, uh, beyond just where you're going on Sundays, are you, are you loving one another? There's some of you today, you've been hurt by other churches. Let me just say it. They hurt you. And as you come into Pathway, you're very guarded. You're very guarded. And I understand but you're very guarded because you're like, I'm not sure I'm going to open myself to, it's going to take, a, let me just ask you, let me ask you to do something. Would you step out and, and open that up and, and, and let, let the body be the body to you? There's some of you, um, you're just, you're, you're satisfied with just coming on Sunday mornings and yeah, I go to Pathway, love that church. But God wants you to take it a step further. He wants you to, to, to really love one another. In fact, as we throw these five things on the, on the screen, God is love. And we see that in this passage. He shows us we have, we have a great example of love in Jesus. We're empowered to love through the Holy Spirit. God shows us his love through the disciples' testimony. God's love removes the fear of future judgment. We don't need to be fearful. God's love can exist alongside hate. It's, there can't be darkness where there's light and light and darkness light just destroys the darkness right i love it when we sing songs about that but let me just let me just um ask two two questions as, as we conclude 
Number one is this. Who, is there any other believer that you're struggling to love right now? And you would even maybe say, I hate. <laughs> As we were discussing this a couple of weeks ago in, in uh, I, think, I don't know if it was in Life Group or in another discussion, but in, I know some people were sitting around there saying, man, I was trying to think of somebody. I was like, I felt really bad because I didn't have anyone I hated. But I was just like, uh, so who was this? Uh, that one time they sat in my row and I was, I was ticked off. Or, but I got over it pretty quick. And um, uh, then that one time Scott said that. And that was, uh, no. Um, I'm not saying you got to figure out. Like, but if you know that you know that you know there's another believer that you hold hatred towards, saints, beloved, listen to me. Let's deal with it. Deal with it. Repent. Ask the Lord to give you grace to love that person. Second thing is this. Beyond that, have you opened up your heart to be loved by this family? And I know, I know that's that's difficult for some of us. But have have you opened up your heart? Have you have you entered into the family? Well, I've tried, Scott. I've tried, and it seems like no one's loved me back. Feel like that. that and I, okay. We're, if you're looking for a perfect church, keep looking because Pathway's not it. It's not the perfect church. There's no perfect church. But I just want you to hear from the leadership, um, and I know the elderships, the staff, we're all behind this vision, is we want to be a church that's devoted to one another, to devoted to the fellowship of one another. We love you, and we want you to love one another. And so will you open up your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to help you to do that today?